0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots
1: this is the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast where we explore the design development and business of great products i'm your host chad pytel and with us today is jonathan cutrell host of the podcast developer t and senior engineer at clearbit jonathan thanks
0: for joining me Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've been listening to this podcast for longer than I've been running a podcast, so it's kind of an honor to be here.
1: Well, even though it's not quite as long as this show, which started in 2012, I think developer T started in 2015,
0: right? That's correct. Yeah, January 2015.
1: But you have much more often released, so you're, <laughs> you're well ahead of us in episode count.
0: Yeah, it's uh, 711 episodes, with a few of those being repeats, just to be fair. Yeah.
1: So I'm sure that if someone isn't listening to the show now and wants to get started, they have to go back to the beginning and listen to all (laughs) 700 episodes to uh, understand
0: where the show's at today, right? Exactly. No, uh, not at all. And interestingly enough, I'm waiting for that 730 number, which would be two years straight of of listening to the show, unless (laughs) it's a leap year. Uh, And so, no, it's one of the shows where we intentionally structure it so that you can jump in at any point. And with the exception of maybe an interview, which we would split up into two episodes, we do very topical episodes that are kind of evergreen. So you can jump in and find an episode that's that's relevant to something that you do, maybe relevant to a problem that you have, you know, something that seems interesting and forget the rest. And And I legitimately hope that people will skip some of these things because it's just a lot of time to spend listening to a podcast, especially if you don't care about what that particular episode is about.
1: So my understanding is much like this show, the format's changed a little bit over the years for Developer Tea, right?
0: It has in some ways, and mm-hmm. then in others, it's it's kind of remained the same. The core goal of the show was initially to create a short format, kind of focused, a single topic, never more than you know one sponsor. And initially didn't have any sponsors, of course. And the hope being that really what I was thinking about was myself, to be honest. I was was a little bit selfish when I built this because it was a podcast that didn't exist that I wanted. And so the problem was that I have a short commute, (laughs) right? And so (laughs) my commute was so short that I had these wonderful podcasts like Giant Robots Smashing Other Giant Robots. Wonderful content from a large array of these podcasts, but there's no way I was going to get through all of it. And so I felt like I was having to, you know, cut out a podcast when I didn't really want to. And it felt like the reason for that is because, you know, every episode was longer than what I had to listen. And so Developer Tea, the hope was to be able to listen to a full episode in the time that it takes to drink a cup of coffee. And of course, we can't use the word coffee because that's totally saturated in iTunes. So naturally, you chose Tea. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Is that
1: really the reason why you did Developer Tea instead of Developer Coffee? 100% the reason, yes. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Had you podcasted before starting
0: Developer Tea? I hadn't podcasted. Uh, What I had done before was quite a bit of audio engineering. Now, I want to be very clear for anybody who's listening and they're like, I'm interested in starting a podcast. You don't really have to know much about audio engineering to start a podcast. I was more comfortable setting up an audio environment. I, I can make things sound decent on episode one, and that's just a slightly lower barrier to entry, but that's not very hard to do. So recording for me was was kind of second nature, but in a different realm. It wasn't me sitting in front of a mic, and it was really hard to begin with, to be honest. I'm sitting in front of a mic trying to you know, explain my thoughts about you know, the topic of focus. That was one of the very first episodes. Mm-hmm. That was very hard to do. So you, you get
1: started with Developer Tea. And it was and still is a side project, right? Absolutely. So
0: what were you doing at the time that you started? So in 2015, I was working at a company called Whiteboard. Whiteboard is a basically a marketing agency and mostly web projects, right? So marketing web projects. And we did quite a bit of Rails consulting as well. And so I was working, as I think at the time, (laughs) titles were a little bit shifty, as most agencies are. Uh, I think I was the director of technology at the company at the time, and eventually became the CTO there at Whiteboard. And I was so interested in the softer aspects because every project that we took on in the agency model, everything was new, Uh, everything was different. We had a different legacy system to look at. We had. You know, a different content model, a different domain, a different set of people. It was always new, but we had these underlying principles that always applied, right? They always applied both to businesses, but also to the developers who were building these products. And so I felt like it was a really important discussion to have, to bring out some of those common threads and those things that don't change from one team to the other, just the different lenses that you might wear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are the things that change.
1: And so were you directly pulling the topics for Developer T from your work at the time?
0: Absolutely. I would have a momentary experience at work, and I'm thinking, oh, man, that's something I'd like to talk about for another 20 minutes, but whoever's sitting in front of me right now does not have the patience for that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But Developer Tea wasn't like a a whiteboard podcast, right? It was your your own thing? That's correct.
0: I mean, both companies... Uh, whiteboard and where I am now, Clearbed, both have been supportive of the podcast. You know, both have have absolutely empowered me to do that, uh, but neither has tried to you know take creative control or anything like that over the podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: So you've been doing Developer Tea for four years now and multiple episodes a week. That's right. Yeah. Have you found it challenging to keep that pace up?
0: Um, No, it's very easy. (laughs) Uh, No, absolutely. Uh, There are days that it's harder than others, but it's it's definitely still a struggle. And it's kind of like physical exercise in many ways. Some days I wake up and I just feel full to the brim with ideas for the show. Other days I stand in front of the computer and I know that I have to put an episode out. I know that I've kind of made that contract with myself. I've made that contract with the listeners. And I have nothing, and I have to kind of sit and wait or do research to develop an idea that's worth sharing. And that's hard. And sometimes, you know, we like to think that these shows are totally organic, that I've got this, you know, long backlog of wisdom to share. Uh, that's not the case. And that's certainly not the case for my side project podcast that I do, you know, in the, in the media room in my house, right? Um, so, It's definitely difficult, but kind of on the flip side of that, one of the things that I've learned about really any kind of side project is that it relies on discipline just as much as it relies on creativity. And so this contract that I was talking about of releasing these three episodes, I have to allow myself to let go of a lot to be able to do that. It seems like it would be the other way around, that I'd have to be uh, kind of grasping at a lot. but. It really is a, a process of letting go of perfectionism, for example, mm-hmm. or trying to have the, the the smartest idea, trying to remain you know perfectly pure in all of my episodes. That's just not going to happen if I want to fulfill that contract. Do you have other side projects that you work on too? As a part of the podcast, I met a couple of other guys who were doing another great podcast called Design Details, and we ended up starting a, a network together called SPEC spec is spec.fm. We have, I believe, somewhere around seven podcasts on the network. I might have that number wrong, so don't hold me to (laughs) it. But that's another bit of a side project because it's not really the same thing as managing my own podcast. There's some more work that goes into that. And then I have kind of a similar, in terms of the goals of the project, I have a site called Tea Break Challenge. And you can sign up and get (laughs) usually daily emails. Uh, This is the one that I've, speaking of that discipline that I was talking about earlier, I have to accept the fact that I haven't been as disciplined with this particular side project as I have been with developer T. And so I do have some other side projects, but I think that I've learned that when I try to extend myself too far, I end up not being able to give any of the projects that I do their full kind of worthwhile attention.
1: Yeah, there's been a few times in my past where I start doing something which I, under normal circumstances, would be really fulfilled by and love doing and find myself not feeling good about, about it. And I realized that part of it is if I feel like I'm compromising or not doing as good a job, it undermines the reason why I'm doing it in the first place, which is because I should be enjoying it. Yeah. And that's
0: not a good feeling either and it can seep into the other projects that you have mm-hmm. right so if you don't feel happy with one of them it's easy to stop feeling happy with the other ones and again any one of them on their own probably would have been like you said fulfilling and exciting but when you start trying to do them all they kind of leech from each other
1: what strategies do you have to to avoid that
0: or make sure that doesn't happen this is going to sound kind of like a cop-out um <laughs> The answer is to say no to more than you say yes to. And when I say more, I mean like drastically more. Mm -hmm. Saying no for us and our family, sometimes that means it will cost us in some way. And so sometimes we even say no to things that are uh, actually cheaper for our family. Like we say no to every once in a while. I will say no to going grocery shopping and get those groceries delivered so we can spend time at home. And so I'm not saying to you know, say no to every opportunity. I'm saying say no to conventional wisdom sometimes. Say no to that feeling that you have to do something in a particular way. And certainly say no to some of those side projects that feel like they would be fulfilling. I think especially for developers and software engineers, we have this sense that there's always something around the corner and that we need to be peeking around every one of those corners that there's a new thing to learn there's a new company there's a new opportunity there's a new client and that we always have to be seeking those things and that's not to say that we shouldn't seek growth right but instead to say that I I see this a lot with especially with beginning engineers and this is true, not just for engineers, but for other disciplines as well. You spend a couple of weeks learning something new and then something else comes into your view, whether it's, you know, somebody else shows you, oh, uh, hey, there's this cool framework, whatever. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you shift your attention. You, you jump away from the thing that you are doing. You were investing a lot of time. You were growing and you end up shifting your attention and you never end up investing much into anything. You invest a lot, you invest a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of care and passion and energy, but you don't invest enough in few enough places to actually see a return, right? And so this can be a a huge problem, especially for those kind of skills that you build up Mm -hmm. and definitely for projects, for side projects like this. If you don't put enough into a fewer number of things, none of them will kind of reach that you know, that activation energy, if you want to call it that, right? There's, there's a certain amount where it's, it's like a minimum. And if you don't put that minimum in, nothing is going to grow.
1: So we've been talking about developer T and, and your other projects as side projects. And we mentioned you worked at Whiteboard when you started it. You work at Clearbit now. That leads me to believe that you need those other jobs, that developer T alone and your, the side projects alone can't support you. Is that, is that right? That's absolutely correct. Do you want them to? Like, are you working to try to get them to the point or is that not part
0: of what you're working towards? I don't know that I can answer that completely because I'm not sure that I have a want Mm -hmm. there. Like a lot of people who start businesses, the initial goal was to be able to do the thing that I'm doing, to just continue making the podcast. You know, it wasn't a, a grand master plan of being able to put all of my energy into the podcast. And interestingly enough, a lot of the reason that the podcast was able to come alive in the first place was a lot of those experiences that I'm having Mm -hmm. in my work, right? And so if somebody was to give me a bunch of money and say, hey, just go focus on the podcast. That's all you have to do from now on. I think I wouldn't have had a lot of the experiences that fueled, you know, what made the podcast good in the first place. And so I'm not sure that I can say that I want the podcast to sustain you know my life my family as much as i want to be able to sustain the podcast does that make sense yeah it does and so it it's not a 0 dollar endeavor right i wouldn't be able to sustain it if i did it that way mm-hmm. it certainly has enriched our lives both for me kind of personal fulfillment but it also pays money we do have sponsors but the wonderful thing about having side projects like this is that they are non-critical and what i mean by non-critical is I can be really picky about who we bring on as sponsors. I'm not threatened by uh, the podcast failing. If the podcast fails, then I'll just keep making it. If we never have another sponsor again, you know, it doesn't threaten our livelihood. And that's, that's a good place to be for a side project like this. Yeah. So you joined Clearbit last year. For those who don't know, what is Clearbit? <laughs> uh, oh, that's that's such a hard question. We've all been working on our elevator pitches, I think. <laughs> Clearbit is changing all the time. So right now, Clearbit is kind of your all-in-one platform for automated business marketing. That's the quick elevator pitch. The more involved pitch here is that Clearbit also has a series of APIs that developers can hook into and create really incredible, powerful things. Like, for example, you can have personalization on a given web page that is much more powerful than you would have with something like uh, Google Analytics, right? Clearbit has an enormous amount of information about businesses around the world, and we're really good at matching up information about a business with a given request, for example. So... You have users that are coming to your site, and we can tell you more about those users without getting into kind of like prying into personal information. So it's this really nice balance between privacy, which is incredibly important, but also the information that makes business more efficient. So that's kind of where we're at in terms of the longer pitch, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that drew me to Grabit in the first place, it's a really exciting kind of enrichment of information that you otherwise wouldn't be able to, uh, to take advantage of. Mm-hmm.
1: What were some of the other things that
0: attracted you to Clearbit? Well, one of them actually was the people that work at Clearbit. And that should come as no surprise. Hopefully people who are joining company, <laughs> you're looking at the people who are working there. You know, Alex McCaw, he came from Stripe and he ended up kind of making a name for himself by doing quite a bit of writing about CoffeeScript and then building this initial product for Clearbit that became pretty successful, pretty popular called Connect. And so when I applied at Clearbit, I had a chance to talk with Alex and we talked about the possibilities that all of these interconnected APIs working together, the new things that we could build in the future. That was really exciting. That first meeting was really exciting. But Alex also talked about culture inside of the company and he discussed things like You know running a very simple process for your engineers and that was really attractive to me as well so there's there's really a lot of compounding factors joining a company who is really positive about ruby that was another kind of a personal plus factor for me Mm -hmm. i couldn't really you know nail down one single factor there was quite a few of them that were that were really attractive tell me about
1: you know you mentioned at whiteboard you were cto was it <laughs> to put it nicely, like a step backwards to join a company like Clearbit as a
0: senior engineer?: I think they are two entirely different companies. Mm-hmm. And so there are people who are listening to this right now who might end up in a similar situation either now or in the future, where you feel like, okay, the title pathway that I see, you know laid out in front of me, this title is uh, a big jump backwards. I'm going down like three rungs on the ladder, right? To go from this managerial or even company leadership role to an individual contributor role. But you have to understand that every company is in a different place, you know, in its journey, right? Every company does something different. Whiteboard was a small, very lean agency. And a lot of the things that I did at Whiteboard, my job shifted kind of contributing factors of my job shifted when I went to Clearbit. And so I'm I'm not doing as much, you know, client interfacing, for example, which is something that an agency would have, but Clearbit probably wouldn't have, Mm -hmm. right? So the short answer is there was definitely anxiety about that for me. And I think that's true for anyone, right? Because from the outside looking in at that resume, it looks like, wait, what happened here, right? You were on Mm -hmm. this one trajectory and then, you know, something shifted dramatically. For me, I feel a a totally different trajectory for myself. I think I've learned a lot by going back into an IC role. I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about what I want in my career. Uh, I've also learned a lot about, you know, what it means to be an IC under a good manager, and that's really valuable experience that I think I wouldn't have been able to get had I stayed in that managerial role. Well, I've never had a good manager before. So what is it like?
1: <laughs>
0: oh, that is something that I care a lot about. And what is it like? Well, one of the things that I tell my wife all the time, and she works as the director of product at another startup. And we, we talk about work far too much. But <laughs> Wait, first I of all, do her, they use Clearbit? Uh, I'm actually working on that, so <laughs> hopefully we'll get a we'll get a good conversion on that. So I tell her all the time that sometimes the best thing is the boring thing. So an engineer going to work and coming home, and the day just being a normal day, that is actually a sign that you probably have a pretty sane team mm-hmm. that there's nothing that's going out of bounds way in the positive direction or way in the negative direction. So if you can maintain that kind of consistency and you have a team that is set up for the long run, right? So a good manager is, is basically protecting that and finding ways to, you know, create that kind of sanity. And everybody's sanity looks different, right? Some people thrive on really high energy and some people thrive on being able to do their normal hours and a good manager knows what each individual needs. So who's your manager?
1: Today my manager is Joao. So they're they're remote from you, right? That's right. And so you know, you you said that this is a really good environment, good management, you're getting what you need out of it, and yet that's that's remote. And I think that might come as a surprise to some people listening.
0: Yeah, I, I think it is a surprise even to people who experience it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an amazing experience, especially if you've ever worked in a non-remote friendly company because it's not easy. There is a whole new set of skills involved with being remote friendly. Being remote friendly, if you're, you know, perusing job boards, you'll see remote jobs and it's not just about offering a job to someone who is not local to you. That's not remote friendly. That's the facade of being remote friendly. Really, all that means is you're willing to pay someone to try to work remotely for you. Remote friendly means taking time to invest in the same ways, in terms of resources, in the same ways that you would invest in a local candidate, but in a specific avenue to empower remote work. So, what does this mean? Well, it means that you have to stay very connected to those remote workers, but most specifically, understanding the new kinds of fear and social interaction that occur as a result of the remoteness right that's the hard part anticipating how people will feel that is different from if they were in a local office together and so how do you do that that's the hard question and there's not a there's not a single answer to that now were you working remotely at whiteboard at whiteboard i wasn't working remotely all the time Mm -hmm. we had kind of a when i say remote friendly i mean people were able to work from home on a regular basis if they wanted to work from a coffee shop and it worked out decently well at whiteboard i attribute that mostly to we had a, a highly kind of trusting culture where people weren't you know having to be in the office at particular hours they weren't having to be on slack or you know hip chat back in the day And so we had the ability to kind of do what we needed to do when we needed to do it. Of course, I had a different perspective than maybe an IC would have. Mm -hmm. right? Being a person in leadership, I have a little bit more autonomy. And so we didn't construct a remote environment at Whiteboard like we have at, at Clearbit.
1: Yeah. And so coming into Clearbit and the environment that's been constructed there was a progression, but a new level for you of working remotely,
0: right? Absolutely. And I think the key factor there is the sense of belonging. Uh, A lot of remote teams, they use, you know, two or three tools. They check in regularly and that's it, right? I mean, by nature of our tooling, we all have that. Everyone's using Slack. Everyone's Mm -hmm. using Asana or something like those tools, right? Nobody actually has to be in an office. So it's not the tooling that really makes the difference. It's this sense of belonging and if you can't cultivate a sense of belonging which again it does take time you have to develop a sense of identity as a company and a sense of culture as a company to know what you even belong to in the first place but that has come as a result of a lot of intentional effort on behalf of the leadership at clearbit
1: and my understanding is that now remote at clearbit has sort of entered a
0: new chapter recently right yeah The new chapter being that we have a significant portion of the team rather than just a small faction of the team Mm -hmm. being remote. Even core members and leadership are remote. And Clearbit has also made it a, a regular practice to have people who are in San Francisco, where Clearbit is unsurprisingly based, they can work from home and they're encouraged to work from home. They're encouraged to join meetings individually, for example, from their computers, So the sense is that we're all kind of remote, even though there's an office where people are, we all work in the same kind of patterns.
1: And in my experience with mixed teams, some people being on site and and some people being remote, that's important. This idea that actually everyone is remote seems to be important to it it working
0: successfully over time. Well, what's interesting is that both sides feel like the other has some kind of special privilege that they don't have. Mm Mm-hmm right? The local employees, they feel like they have pressure to come into the office and they don't have the freedom that someone who's working remotely from a different country might have. And the remote employees feel like they don't have social interaction. They don't have, you know, the nuanced communication. And so everybody feels left out when you work as two different groups. It's always
1: an us versus them. It can even be little things like, oh, you know, the snacks in the office or going for an outing or something or even just beyond social interaction is like some benefits are only available to the on-site team. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And there are a lot of ways that you can kind of benefit your remote employees in specific ways to them. So now having worked in this kind of an
1: environment, do you envision going back to a place where you're working
0: onsite? So my gut says that I will forever work remote from here on out. I love the autonomy of that. I love the idea that I can kind of work wherever I feel comfortable. I also understand that it's very difficult to fully replace the bandwidth that you have when you have in-person communication. And so I'm not closed to that idea, but I don't believe that it's the future of the workforce. I don't Mm -hmm. think that in the future, as we all shift into new roles, I think we'll see more and more of those roles uh, either requiring remote skills or being remote in the first place. So yeah, I I'm not close to it, but I imagine that any of the roles that I want to take on in the future will have a important remote component to them.
1: Yeah. So what's on the horizon for you for for developer T for the other things that you're you're working on is there something that you know you're looking ahead to? <laughs> and super excited about, except the new addition to your family. I, we, I, we totally didn't even mention that. I I should have mentioned that. Congratulations,
0: by the way. Thank you so much. So we we have two children now. One is two years old, and the other one is just a few days old. Liam and Nova are their names. Those are the things that I'm most excited about in life <laughs> right now. Uh, what's on the horizon? So I think that developer T will remain consistent for the foreseeable future. I, I don't see... You know, that core podcast publishing going away anytime soon. I do want to expand more and provide kind of additional offerings, potentially under the same brand, but potentially under something entirely different. And I really love teaching. Uh, I love teaching concepts, mental models, those kinds of things with relation to how does that affect how you build a team and how does it affect how you operate as a software engineer. That's what I'm really passionate about. And so I don't really have a fully formed plan for that yet, but I'm hoping that I can get into some teaching roles in the near future. When I say roles, I mean building content mm-hmm. that is teaching content. So if people
1: want to listen to Developer T, we'll obviously link it in the show notes that people can find at giantrobots.fm and in their podcast player. But where can
0: people find out more about Developer T? Well, I think spec.fm is a wonderful place for people who are listening to this show to go to in the first place. You can find developer T there, but you can also find a lot of other fantastic content for people who are interested in this intersection uh, that you talk about here on the show. So definitely spec.fm is the place to go.
1: Well, I congratulate you on your success and longevity with the show. I look forward to celebrating when you get to that 730 (laughs) episode number.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: And uh, thanks for joining us today. I I really appreciate it. If folks want to follow along with you or get in touch with you directly, where's the best place for them to do that?
0: So I'm on Twitter, like most everyone you know, probably, at Cottrell. but you can also email me directly at developer t at com, and yes i am still using a gmail i, I think because <laughs> it's just so easy to stay the same and nobody has really come down on me for that <laughs> so i'm gonna keep on using the gmail <laughs>
1: You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
0: This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.